welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. This is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX and the host of the iFormerX podcast. About a year ago, we reviewed and discussed the DAPA CKD study, which evaluated the benefits of the sodium glucose transporter 2 inhibitor, dapagliflozin, in patients with chronic kidney disease. And while two-thirds of the participants in the DAPA CKD study had type 2 diabetes, a third of the participants did not. Thus, the SGLT2 inhibitors appear to have a renal protective effect that is independent of glucose lowering. Indeed, the clinical trials using the SGLT2 inhibitors, as well as the GLP-1 receptor agonists to prevent the development and progression of kidney disease, have been quite compelling. But did you know there is another treatment option for patients with CKD and diabetes available? In July 2021, the FDA fast-tracked the approval of Phenarinone, which is marketed under the brand name Carendia for the treatment of chronic kidney disease in patients with type 2 diabetes. But how does Phenarinone stack up against the SGLT2 inhibitors and the GLP-1 receptor agonists? Well, to help us answer this question are Dr. Catherine Montag Schaefer and Dr. Kyle Hunt, who wrote a commentary for iFormerX about the Fidelio DKD study, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in October of 2020. Dr. Schaefer is an ambulatory care pharmacy specialist at N Health Fairview and assistant professor in the Family Medicine Residency Program. And Dr. Hunt is the lead resident for the St. John's Family Medicine Residency Program in St. Paul, Minnesota. Catherine is no stranger to iFormerX. She's been a guest on our program a couple of years ago, and it's great to have Kyle as a first-time contributor. Catherine, Kyle, welcome to the iFormerX podcast. Thanks so much for having us, Stuart. Yeah, thanks, Stuart. Thanks so much for having me on. Really excited to be here. So before we get started, I'd like to get your thoughts on a patient case, a case that I think that is not unlike what many of the patients you encounter in your clinic. And I want you to imagine you are seeing TL, a 61-year-old African-American female. The patient has a long-standing history of hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and dyslipidemia. And she's morbidly obese, has osteoarthritis pain in her knees, and she's had a progressive decline in her GFR over the past two years. According to her medical record, TL has been prescribed lisinopril, resuvastatin, metformin, and insulin glargine. And in addition, she takes aspirin, 81 milligrams daily, and OTC naproxen for arthritis pain. She currently weighs 264 pounds and her BMI is 40.9. And her blood pressure today in clinic is a 132 over 66. And the most recent labs, which were drawn yesterday, include a fasting glucose of 87 and an A1C of 7.1, serum creatinine of 1.7, and an estimated GFR of 37 mils per minute, serum potassium of 4.7 milligrams per deciliter, and her uh, her lipid panel looks great. So she's got an LDL of 56, HDL of 48, triglycerides of 107. Uh, in addition, the patient had a timed urine protein test performed, and the albumin to creatinine ratio was 350. 
So Catherine, before we talk about the study you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary, I'm wondering what's going through your mind in this case. What, what are some of the key questions you'd like to ask the patient during this encounter and what additional labs might you want to order? And are there any additional treatment options you'd be considering at this point? So I think when it comes to her chronic disease management, it seems that she is very near to meeting both her blood pressure goal, likely less than 130 over 80, and A1C goal less than 7. It's also great to see that she is on interventions for primary cardiovascular protection, like her high-intensity statin, and she's meeting her LDL goal of less than 70. In regards to her aspirin, it seems like this intervention's place in therapy continues to really be less absolute and instead requires a shared decision-making conversation with your patient to get a better understanding of how the possible benefits and the risks are balanced. So in my practice, at least in many of my patients without a personal history of ASCVD, I feel like more and more often the risks with aspirin are outweighing its possible benefit. And so this could lead to discontinuation depending upon the patient's preferences. So given her EGFR, it seems that we need to continue on this path to help her achieve her blood pressure and blood sugar goals which can help prevent any further progression of her CKD. In addition to these efforts, we should make sure that we're using interventions that can help, again, prevent further lowering of her EGFR. The first intervention for treatment of microalbuminuria and CKD is the use of an ACE inhibitor or an ARB, and thankfully she is already on this, and it is optimized right at the maximum daily dose. So next, based on the current ADA standards of care guidelines, we would then look to SGLT2 inhibitors or a GLP-1 receptor agonist. Both of these interventions have a really high level of evidence to support their use. And this is because of their many benefits, including glycemic control, cardiovascular risk reduction, weight loss, and like we're talking about today, to decrease the risk of adverse renal outcomes. So some of the key questions I would think to ask our patient would be to inquire about any other over-the-counter or products or supplements just to ensure that, first of all, that they're safe given her level of CKD, but also that they're necessary or effective to achieve her goals. This also could be a time with the patient's permission to talk about weight loss, right, to inquire about activity and diet and see what other kinds of changes could be beneficial if she were interested. So not only would we look to talking about dietary changes for weight loss, we would also maybe want to educate the patient about the potential benefit of looking at her protein intake because it's recommended to limit protein intake to 0.8 grams per kilos per day, as that's been shown to slow the progression of EGFR over time. So thinking about additional labs that we would want to obtain, I think first we want to ensure that the EGFR that we've calculated here was done so not using race, as the race-based calculation only perpetuates systemic racism and really can delay the use of interventions that are shown to decrease the risk of CKD progression. Finally, to confirm the diagnosis, of microalbuminuria, we would need to obtain at least one more additional timed urine protein within the next three months. And if it exceeded the threshold of 30, this would then indicate a sustained decline in kidney function, confirming the presence of albuminuria and CKD. So in thinking about additional treatment options for our patient, given her CKD, I would want to ask the patient about transitioning off oral NSAIDs and maybe instead to a topical NSAID given the decreased risk of systemic exposure. 
and or asking her about maybe some alternative options for treatment of her arthritis, maybe like Tylenol or duloxetine. And then finally, in regards to her blood pressure treatment, um, given that she's so near her goal, this might be a great opportunity to maybe highlight the DASH diet and how this could help achieve her blood pressure goal. Or right, this might elevate the importance of the SGLT2 inhibitors given their ability to reduce blood pressure, as well as their other benefits. So Kyle, in your commentary, you reviewed the study, which is entitled Effect of Phenarinone on Chronic Kidney Disease Outcomes in Type 2 Diabetes. And as I mentioned, it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine last October uh, of 2020. While I think everyone should read this paper for themselves, and we provide a link to the paper on the iFormerX website, can you give us a brief synopsis of the study methods and the results? Sure. So uh, the commentary reports the findings of the Fidelio DKD trial, which was a double-blinded placebo-controlled trial evaluating the effects of the new drug phenarinone. Phenarinone fits in the same class as the other MRAs, spironolactone and implarinone. MRAs have been an attractive target for CKD for many of the same reasons that ACE inhibitors and ARBs are our first-line therapy. Aldosterone activation of the mineral corticoid receptor has been shown to lead to an increase in oxidative stress, microinflammation, and ultimately kidney fibrosis. And this is why RAS inhibition is so crucial for preventing the progression of CKD. ACEs and ARBs work upstream to decrease the production of aldosterone, but sometimes, despite patients being on maximally tolerated therapy, it isn't quite enough. There was a study in 2007, and it showed that up to 50% of patients experience an increase in their aldosterone levels after one year of being on ACE or ARB therapy. And they propose this as a aldosterone escape. This is where MRAs could come in handy as an additional way to block the activation of aldosterone. Now, the focus on aldosterone blockade as a therapeutic target for CKD is not a new concept. And MRAs have been around for a long time. So it it begs the question, why haven't we been using them all of this time? And I think the answer lies mostly in the side effect profile of the older generation MRAs, mainly their propensity to cause hyperkalemia. And this is where phenarinone enters the picture, as early clinical studies of the drug showed that it caused a significantly lower rate of hyperkalemia than the other two drugs. So that brings us back to the Fidelio DKD trial, which ultimately set out to prove that phenarinone worked to decrease progression of CKD in patients who were already on ACE or ARB therapy without causing excessive hyperkalemia. Patients in the study had type 2 diabetes and CKD that was defined as having either moderately elevated albuminuria, so a urinary albumin-creatinine ratio of 30 to 300 milligram per gram, an estimated GFR of 25 to 60, and having some evidence of microvascular change with diabetic retinopathy or they had to have severely elevated albuminuria, which was a urinary ACR of greater than 300. Patients were already on maximally tolerated ACEs and ARDs at the time of the trial, or they were allowed for titration of these meds during a run-in period. Patients were then randomized one-to-one to receive phenarinone or a placebo, and patients were followed at routine clinic visits at one month, four months, and every four months thereafter. The primary outcome was a composite time-to-event analysis of kidney failure, sustained decrease in estimated GFR of at least 40% from baseline over a period of at least four weeks, or death from renal causes. 
This outcome occurred in 17.8% in the finerenone group versus 21.1% in the placebo group. This equated to a number needed to treat of 29. The secondary outcome for the trial was a composite of death from cardiovascular causes, non-fatal MI, non-fatal stroke, or hospitalization for heart failure, which occurred in 13% in the finerenone group versus 14.8% of the placebo group, and that equaled a number needed to treat of 42. Lastly, the trial did show that hyperkalemia was a common adverse event occurring in 18.3% of participants in the finerenone group versus 9% of participants in the placebo group. However, only 2.3% of patients in the finerenone group had to permanently discontinue the trial due to this hyperkalemia versus only 0.9% in the placebo group. So ultimately, the trial did show that there was both a cardiovascular benefit as well as a renal benefit for patients treated with finerenone. And it is important to note that in the trial, they did note that the cardiovascular benefit occurred early. It was within one month and it persisted throughout the trial, whereas the renal benefit that they noted took about 12 months before they noticed the difference. So Kyle, every study has its strengths and weaknesses and potential limitations and do you have any concerns about the design or conduct of this study, and, and are there any sources of bias or potential confounders that we should be paying attention to? And finally, do you think the results of this study can be generalized to most patients with type 2 diabetes with concurrent CKD? Yeah, so, so first, the strengths of the trial included its randomized multi-center placebo-controlled design, the use of optimized RAS inhibitor therapies, and the median follow-up with a duration of 2.6 years, and that the required event rate needed for the pre-specified power analysis was achieved. Limitations of this study include the lack of generalizability to other populations with CKD as the majority of participants had advanced CKD. Most patients in the trial had a urinary ACR greater than 300, and those with non-albuminuric CKD were excluded from the trial. In addition, patients of color were underrepresented. As far as bias or potential confounders, first, the study was funded by Bayer, which was the drug manufacturer. Second, while at baseline and after initiation of the study drug, the use of concomitant SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 agonists uh, was comparable in both groups. While allowing these medicines to be used may make results more generalizable, it, it may also represent a confounding factor, making the results more difficult to interpret. In regards to our patient, TL, given her known level of albuminuria, estimated GFR, and her optimized ACE inhibitor therapy, she would meet the inclusion criteria, and so these results are applicable to her. So, Catherine, let's go back to our case. Recall that TL has type 2 diabetes and CKD, and I think many people would consider using an SGLT2 inhibitor in this case, or, or perhaps a GLP-1 receptor agonist, but given the results of this study, should we be considering finerenone instead? And although it, it would be very pricey, could finerenone be used in combination with an SGLT2 inhibitor or a GLP-1 receptor agonist? With so many options available, what are the pros and cons of, of going with any of these options? So I think given the current state of the literature and the guidelines, I don't think we yet have a super clear idea of when exactly to use finerenone. However, I do not think we would consider the use of finerenone instead of or in preference to an SGLT2 inhibitor or GLP-1 receptor agonist. Instead, we need to tailor when these interventions are chosen based on the patient's 
comorbid conditions and based on which specific outcomes of interest we need for our patient. So for our patient TL, I would likely still opt to propose the use of a GLP-1 receptor agonist to our patient. And this is given the multiple benefits of this medication class could offer her, including weight loss, glycemic benefit, and last but not least, renal and cardiovascular benefits. I think in my practice, the use of a GLP-1 receptor agonist has really allowed the patient to decrease their reliance on insulin, which can also help promote weight loss. Based on the current ADA standards of care guidelines, I too would consider offering SGLT2 inhibitors, again, for the same reasons then I think finerenone could be considered. The timeline between all these interventions is really unclear. Our present state would be based on patient tolerability, their willingness to take an additional medication and the monitoring that comes with that, insurance coverage, and cost. And so I guess in conclusion, situations in which finerenone may have a clear advantage, maybe as monotherapy, are when there are contraindications for the use of SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists. Which is a very rare thing indeed, Catherine. So I'm wondering how often we're going to be using this. Have you seen a lot of use in your in your practice, by the way? Yeah, never. I mean, I just haven't seen it and not much buzz about it either. I know. Although this study is actually pretty impressive, I got to say. So it's sort of like, it's surprising that uh, we are not talking about it more. But I'm glad we're talking about it here on iFormRx. So... Kyle and Catherine, I want to thank you so much for joining me today to discuss the treatment of chronic kidney disease and the potential use of finerenone, an MRA, that might play, particularly in patients with type 2 diabetes, a role. Well, tell us what you think. We've got several new options now to slow the progression of CKD in, in patients with type 2 diabetes. Should finerenone be routinely considered and, and should we favor it? over an SGLT2 inhibitor or GLP-1 receptor agonist. I'm not sure about that, but maybe you think otherwise. And if finerenone is used, when should it be added? Only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the site. If you happen to be a health professional, you can become a member of iFormerX. Sign up today. It is free. And if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, or perhaps you are studying to become a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, be sure to check out the American Pharmacists Association's board prep and recertification course. Uh, You can earn recertification and continuing education credit for this program. We've partnered with APHA to offer much of our content for their board prep and recertification. Uh, To learn more, click on that link that's posted below the commentary on our website. And lastly, I want to extend a very special thank you to Michelle Bailly at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences College of Pharmacy for agreeing to serve as our newest associate editor and to help maintain and build our resource pages. Dr. Bailly is an ambulatory care pharmacy specialist who provides care at the VA Health System of the Ozarks Fayetteville campus, and she has been a frequent contributor to iFormerX over the past six years. So I'm so pleased that she's agreed to be a member of our editorial team, and I know she'll have some great ideas on how to engage our community members. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Be well, my friends.